Lady Chatterley's Lover by D. H. Lawrence The cataclysm has happened, but we've got to live. This was, more or less, Constant Chatterley's position. Her husband Clifford had returned home from the war a cripple, unable to have children. He was not downcast, for he could propel himself in a motorised bath chair, yet his being was a blank of insentience. Constance was a ruddy-faced woman who had known the sex thing as an 18-year-old girl in 1913 when she had roamed the woods near Dresden with German guitar-playing youths. Twang, twang! Her father could tell that l'amour avait passé là on her return, for he was a man of experience, and was now concerned she was condemned to life as a demi-vierge. Clifford and Connie had returned to Ragby Hall in 1920, yet despite the proximity of his family seat to the earthy Nottinghamshire mining village of Tevishall, there was no connection between the two. They lived in the world of ideas and books, where Clifford's insubstantial writing had brought him a certain celebrity among the emptiness of the well-to-do London literati. The penis is a much overvalued organ, he declared to Connie, but if you are desperate for a child, I would be happy to overlook an act of sexual congress on your part and to raise whatever it may bring as my own. Connie was fading by the hour, her body deprived of warm life seed, and she found a connection in the physical contours of the Irish writer Michaelis. He was an outsider with the nobility of a negro a man despised for being Arivist. And yet he had the tiny, disconnected penis of the London modernist. She felt nothing when he entered her, and he had his crisis all too quickly, leaving her to achieve her own by rubbing herself against him abstractedly. This is my England, Clifford said, vibrating with the bitch goddess of success as he pointed to his gamekeeper working on the estate. Connie's eyes strayed to the man's red moustache and his strong Nottinghamshire loins. How she longed for the integrated life. How dare she be defrauded of her womanhood. Later that day she walked alone to the gamekeeper's hut. What's your name? she asked. And what are you doing? Mellers, my lady, he replied. I've been a-killing a bad pussy. O oh, Persephone, O oh, anemones and crocuses. Connie hated him for defying her by using the earthy Nottinghamshire dialect instead of the received pronunciation he had acquired in the army that made him acceptably common. Yet her womanhood was set afire with sexual symbolism. He was like a lonely, erect pistol of an invisible flower. He was a wounded lion, bound by his class to the pain of his rejection by his wife. The mental excitement for Clifford had gone. It was money and society he sought. The power of being upper class. By day he was taken down the mines to view his mastery of the Bolshevik workforce. By night he rested his head like a child on the ample bosom of his housekeeper, Mrs Bolton. Clifford, the great I am, never so much as touched her. A tear fell to her wrist as she watched the chicks breathe 
new life. She felt detached as Mella's buttocks thrust inside her, but her womb opened up to him and she felt a wave of culmination as he emptied his seed. He had made her reconnect. We came half together that time, he said. Connie, Clifford, Mrs Bolton and Mellors all thought their separate deep thoughts of hopelessness and eternity. Yet Connie knew she must not lose her bacante passion. Maybe she would have a baby. Go to Venice with her sister, even. I love you, Mellors, she whispered. That a good cunt, Mellors said. Best bit of cunt. And what I need is the swarthy, ever-ready cock of a horny-handed son of the soil who is actually a little bit middle-class and can quote Latin. Fuck me till I fart. Clifford became ever more tainted with commerce. His disconnection from nature laid bare as his bath chair got stuck in the mud. How furious! How impotent! My life is like Persepolis, said Mellors for once eschewing his Nottinghamshire vernacular. I had a lot of good fucking with my wife Bertha. Before I only thought black women could come naturally. But then she left me. Let's both get divorced and live in Phallos world, Connie gasped. He took her like an animal. I like it that thou shits and pisses and my John Thomas longs to fuck thy secret places. The purity of her sexuality could not be denied as she surrendered her arse and they fucked and shitted and pissed all that last night. London, Paris and Italy felt barren in comparison to her belly that was swelling with Muller's fertile seed. She dared not tell Clifford she was pregnant for she was in a funk. If Muller's phallus had entered Bertha, was it not tainted with commonness? You will have to pretend Duncan Forbes is the father, said Connie's father. He is a posh aesthete, and he'll be happy to go along with it if he can see you naked. It's not true, cried Connie, as Clifford buried his infantile crippled frame deeper into Mrs Bolton's swinging breasts. I love Mellors. I must live with the man whose cock I love and in whose arms I strive for the bliss of a continuous Nottinghamshire orgasm. There will be no divorce, Clifford shouted, toying with his nappy. It's just a nostalgie debout. I am chaste but long to fuck the, Mellors wrote. My John Thomas may be drooping, but it lives in hope. <laughs>